Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hoshberg, and this is episode number 511. It's happened yet again. The podcast email inbox has gotten too full. Yeah, we're starting to fall really behind on some of these questions, and I wanted to dedicate this week's episode to you. Here we go. As you all know, I love when you send me emails to read on the podcast because it allows us to touch upon a variety of topics, but I get so many questions sometimes that the queue starts to build up, and it's okay to have a backlog, that's good, but I don't want it to get too long to the point where I'm reading questions from like three or four months ago. Not quite that bad yet, but I want to prevent us from getting there, and so this week's episode is all about answering your questions. Our first email is from Josh. The right time at, my family lives in California, and we recently found out that we love cruises. We have a two and a four-year-old, and I'm looking forward to booking future cruises. Sailing out of Galveston is significantly cheaper than Florida and closer to us, but it tends to have older ships. In the case I'm looking at, I'm considering sailing on Harmony of the Seas. Are the newer ships significantly better than the older ones of the same class? And do you think it's worth it to fly to Miami and do Wonder of the Seas, or do you think there's enough difference that my wife and I and kids won't notice the difference in ships? Josh, uh, the answer to your question kind of depends on the ship. Harmony is not that old. I mean, it is, but it's compared to Wonder, I suppose, but you know, obviously, relatively speaking, but it's still a great ship. You know, if you're talking about other ships sail out of Galveston, you know, depending on the season, it could be a grandeur or it could be a, a voyager or an adventure of the seas, right? That's a different story. But when you're talking about the Oasis class, of which Harmony is one, I know I don't think it's worthwhile, especially if they are significantly cheaper. If the price difference were negligible, you can make a good argument that you should fly to Miami. But if there's a significant discount for going on Harmony out of Galveston, I would definitely do Harmony, and I love that ship. I really think the reason that you might want to consider a Florida departure as opposed to Galveston is the itinerary, because if you're sailing out of Galveston, you're doing Western Caribbean, and that's it. Now, listen, if you've ever done that a lot or don't mind it, that's fine. But a lot of people usually kind of get sick of it after a while. They prefer to do something else, and there isn't really any variation with those itineraries. So whether or not it's important to you is a different story. But when you're comparing Harmony to Wonder in this situation, no, I don't think it's worthwhile for you to spend the extra money to go. Certainly, I would recommend you do Wonder at some point because there are some really neat upgrades and features they've added to the ship that you won't find on Harmony, but I wouldn't characterize it as a negative or something to the point where you really need to reconsider your option. Now, if we're talking again about an older ship, like a, you know, a, a Vision-class ship or a Radiance-class ship or a Voyager, there's more of an argument there. There's more to talk about. But is it in this situation, I think you're okay. Next email is from Brian McNabb. Hey, Matt. First, I love your channel and we're Royal Caribbean fans. Just got off Wonder of the Seas a few weeks ago. Question, is there a season Royal Caribbean does route updates? Looking for 2024 Canada New England trips, but it seems limited. Uh, thanks for the question, Brian. And the answer is yes. Uh, Royal Caribbean typically puts out new itineraries twice a year. Once in the late fall, right around uh, November, December timeframe. And then again in the spring between, gosh, February and April. So I'm not sure exactly where the, Can the Canada New England trips will fall into which deployment schedule a release that I just mentioned there. But of course, I'll post about it at realgreenblog.com. But yeah, they do it usually uh, along those times. Again, those dates that I mentioned, that's historically what they've done. They could change it up this year, but that has been their MO for many, many, many years. Andrew Gibson has our next email. I wanted some advice on travel arrangements for our upcoming cruise on board the Anthem of the Seas over Cape Liberty, New Jersey. My wife and I are excited to be joined by our two younger kids 
a son aged four and a daughter aged one on an 11 night Southern Caribbean cruise. Last year, we had a fantastic time with our three-year-old son on the same ship, seven night Eastern Caribbean, and we're looking forward to another memorable journey. Given that our daughter is under four and not eligible for Royal Caribbean's excursions, we have some concerns about transportation when we're at the ports and we'd like to plan accordingly. I was wondering if you could provide some insight or advice on how we can arrange transportation while in port. Should we call taxi services in advance before disembarking or are there taxis with car seats available at the port? We want to ensure our little one's safety and comfort. While I'm content with staying on the ship and relaxing and watching the kids, I fully understand my wife's desire to explore and enjoy the different ports as a family. Any recommendations or tips you have based on your experience would be greatly appreciated. Your knowledge uh, and the Royal Green blog community has been invaluable to us and we're looking forward to having an amazing cruise experience. So here's the reality. Car seats are not a thing in the Caribbean. They're just not. I've taken a number of cruises with my kids when they were as little as six months old. Car seats don't exist. Uh, maybe if you Googled enough, you might be able to find somebody who has them, but it just doesn't exist. There are taxis at every single port you can go to, and you can certainly just hop in there. The reality is when you're traveling with kids that young, I know it's weird because in America and a lot of other countries, it's the norm. You would never put your, your kid in a car seat, in a go in a car without a car seat. So you have two options. One, you can bring your own car seat. That is an option there. And there's a number of ways you can make that work. You can bring your own car seat, like the one you have in your car currently. There are some travel car seats on, you know, places like Amazon and other websites where maybe it's a little easier. They're a little less bulky. They're not quite as good as the conventional ones, but they're better than nothing. The problem with this, of course, is they're bulky and you got to bring them. So you're going to bring them on the airplane and you're going to do all that. And listen, for a lot of Family. Sometimes they actually, you know, they get the the seat for their kids, and they'll put their the smaller children in a car seat on the airplane, and then it's like, okay, well, you're already doing that. What the hey? But you know, you've got that, and you've got strollers and all everything else. It just adds up. I remember when our kids were that age, we would actually get uh, we got on Amazon one of those backpacks. So it's like a the bag that you put your car seat in, and you can wear it as a backpack. So you know, you put the car seat in this bag, you zip it up and then you wear it as a backpack, it's a little easier to carry around than, you know, just a car seat on its own. That's another option. The other option is you forgo the car seat altogether. And I've done this. I'm, I freely admit we've gone on many a tour with our kids uh, in, in a taxi or in a van without a car seat on. In those cases, we would, depending on how old they were at the time, we either held them in our laps when they got a little older, you know, when they were in that four, five, three-year-old range, we would just put them in a in a seatbelt. I mean, it's not the safest thing in the world. I freely admit that, but it's also when I was a kid, that's what our parents did with us. We just sat in our parents' laps and I'm here to tell the tale of it. I mean, I'm not sure that really holds up as a good indicator of safety. I'm not, I'm not here to debate that fact. I'm just simply saying car seats don't exist in the Caribbean. So you have that. Another option I didn't think about, but I'm thinking about it now is to leave the kids on board the ship. If you're truly worried about it and don't want to bring a car seat or can't, then your other option is leave them at Adventure Ocean. Whether it's the nursery or Adventure Ocean, those facilities will be open for you while your ship is in port and you leave the kids over there and you and your wife enjoy some time in port. Now, that contradicts what you said earlier about enjoying together as a family, but I wanted to put that out there as an option. You can, uh, when your cruise ship is in port, you can drop your kids off at Adventure Ocean, let them uh, leave them there. You do your tour, come on back, and they'll, uh, as long as your ship is in port, Adventure Ocean, the nursery will be open. Obviously, the nursery has an additional cost to it, but that is another option there. So I hope that helped you a little bit. I mean, there's not great choices, 
but certainly you could bring a car seat, uh, but I would not rely on a car seat to be provided for you. It's just in the, these Caribbean countries, they just don't exist at all. I mean, you're not going to buy taxes that have. Next, we have an email from James Woodward from Stephenville, Texas. Uh, your episode number 506 could not have come at a more appropriate time, but for a completely different reason than you intended. Number one, has Royal Green done away with the cruise planner? I used to have a bookmark that they would take me directly to the cruise planner, but now it takes me to the Royal Green website homepage. Has the cruise planner basically moved to the app? I thought they might have done away with the cruise planner until I heard you mention cruise planner several times in episode 506. My biggest concern is I knew how to cancel some things on the cruise planner. I don't know how I would cancel it now. No, the, it's, just, it's still definitely there, James. Um, you have to log into your account first, and then on the Royal Caribbean website, log into your account, and then go to My Cruises, and you'll see all your sailings there, and then you have the cruise planner over there. So I'm not sure what you had bookmarked earlier, but all you have to do is just go to the Royal Caribbean website, log in, and you'll be good to go, and you can still it work exactly the same. Number two, we're selling on Quantum of the Seas next summer, and I had not even thought about being able to pre-book shows until I heard you mention it. Where do I go to book show reservations? Is that also through the app? Available on the app and also on the website. I do it through the website, the Cruise Planner website. So when you get to about 30 days beforehand, it should be available be available for you to make reservations within the website. The help and expertise you've provided over the years has immensely improved my cruising experience. I cannot say thank you enough for all the help you've provided over the years. Thank you, James. Appreciate the very, very kind words there. Awesome. Our next email is from Dalen Reeve. Hi, Matt. I've been enjoying listening to your podcast. I have a couple questions for you. As someone who is just starting out with Royal Caribbean, it seems a little daunting choosing which ship to sail first and which class. I know that they're all unique and have their strengths and weaknesses. What ship would you recommend for a first-timer like myself? Man, this is such an interesting question. We're actually working on, I guess I can spill the beans here. I'm actually working on a, a, a new course. A, a This will be a paid course that provides someone like yourself, Dalen, you know, a, a direction on how to plan a cruise, how to pick a cruise and, and all that. Um, so that way you don't have to dig through podcast episodes and blog posts and all that. Some people want that, some people don't. But anyway, I digress because the reason why I mention this, not just because this is a shameless plug of something you can't even book yet, but uh, but the reason why I mention it is because that I had to go through this exact exercise mentally. Like if you're someone like Dalen who's like, I want to go on a cruise. How do I pick a ship and all that? I feel like there's three components, if I can remember these three components, but there are three components that really matter ultimately picking a cruise, right? Number one, where do you want to cruise to? Because if you're saying, well, Matt, I really want to do a European cruise. There's a subset of ships that go to Europe. I really want to do Alaska. There's a smaller subset of ships that go to Alaska, Caribbean, etc. So my point is, is that if whatever region, you probably have a region in mind, right? And if you're saying, Matt, I really want to do the Caribbean, use that as an example. Okay, well, in the summertime, ships that are in Europe, ships that are in Alaska are not going to be available to you. So depending on the time of year and the region you're interested in, number one, that's going to dictate in large part what's available. Number two, how long of a sailing are you interested in? Now you may say, well, I'm not sure yet. That's fair. But obviously if you're doing a three night cruise, or you want to do a seven night cruise or even a longer sailing, that will also further limit what's available to you. And the last is budget. We can all sit here and I can sit here for hours and tell you all about the great reasons you should book, you know, Wonder of the Seas as an example. Well, Wonder or Icon, they're super pricey, right? Compared to, of course, other ships. It's all relative. But that may dictate, depending on what your budget is, you really can only afford, you know, a Mariner of the Seas or a Harmony of the Seas or something like that. And also where you want to sail out of. I guess, I don't know if that's three or four, but 
anyway, you know, depending on where you want to sail from, you know, if you're like, I'm not sure where you're from, Dale, you didn't mention it, but if you're looking to cruise out of, you know, Baltimore, there's only one or two ships out of there, Galveston, right? You kind of get the idea here. So I would sit down and I would answer those questions. Where do you want to sail to? The what, you know, region of the world. When do you want to sail? This is probably more than the three now, but those two. Your budget, what's your rough budget there that you're looking for? And of course, uh, where you're looking to sail from. And that kind of gives you, that narrow, that would probably narrow down your options to about, gosh, three to five of the most ship I'd imagine. I mean, the worst, I gotta say the worst case, but I'm, you could really, I, I suppose the, the widest variety of choices would be you want to do, uh, you know, a seven night cruise in the winter from Florida. Okay, well, that's going to offer you the greatest selection of ships, but that's still all only five or so ships to choose from, maybe a little more. Um, but that's where I would start from there. Certainly when I talk in generalizations, I always recommend for first time cruisers an Oasis or a, a Quantum class ship or even an Icon class ship now because they just offer the latest and greatest. Uh -huh. But again, if you want to do Alaska, that's going to be a different subset of ships than the Caribbean. So hopefully that answers a little, or it gives you a direction, Dalen, because, you know, like I said, generally speaking, I recommend the Oasis and Quantum class ships. But if you're like, Matt, I really want to do Greece as my first cruise. Well, you're going to be on a, you're going to be on a vision class ship, which is not a problem. That's great. But, you know, just understand that that kind of dictates your choice for you, if that makes sense. And lastly, what helped you decide to dive into everything about Royal Caribbean for your career? Did you start over? Would you stay with Royal Caribbean or would you go to another cruise line? Good question. Actually, I would definitely stay with Royal Caribbean if I could go back. The reason why I focus on Royal Caribbean and not other cruise lines, like every other website out there that is in the cruise industry, I feel like, is because I only cared about Royal Caribbean. I started out as a fan. I enjoyed Royal Caribbean cruises and... I, as I was debating on starting a website, a blog, I thought, well, I really don't care about what carnivals do or Norwegian or MSC. And to write articles about, or record podcast episodes about other lives I don't care about, it just, it would, it, that would seem like quote unquote work to me. And I had no interest in that. So I thought that I would focus purely on Royal Caribbean. Uh, and it would also give me an advantage, I thought, because other sites, focus on the entire industry and because of that they can only go so deep into any particular cruise line whereas I could really dive into the details and and kind of you know, provide more of a focus there I thought that was an advantage for me so that's kind of why I went in the direction there as a fan and I also thought that was an advantage from being able to do a better job or, or do a job that I think would would help be more beneficial I should say to readers and of course podcast listeners so excellent questions there Dalen Next, we have an email from Scott and Gigi. Hey, Matt, love your podcast. Very informative. We're going on our first cruise, Oasis of the Seas, in September. I did the check-in for my wife and myself uh, 45 days prior to sailing. On the website, I have my set sail pass available to print and got 10.30 a.m. boarding. I don't have any documents showing on the website, which I'm pretty sure is where I'd get my luggage tags. You know when they go available. Uh, they should be available pretty darn soon, but yes, they're uh, actually... Uh, it should be right around that 45 day mark or so. But uh, when you go to the website and you log in, you should see an option. If you go to your sailing and you expand it, I don't know how to explain that better, but on a website, when you expand it, there's the option. There would also be in the the last page of your e-docs that you should also get right around that time. So eh, I say right around 45 days or so, certainly by 30 in the already, you did the check-in already. It should be there probably by the time you're hearing this episode, Scott, I'd imagine it's there. So 
Uh, hopefully that answers your question there. Our next email is from Bridget. Uh, good morning. My husband and I are taking a three-day cruise out of Miami on Freedom of the Season November without our kids. Due to time off and kid commitments, we cannot fly in the day before. Although the stress is us out, it is what it is. My question is about airport transfers. Since it's only a three-day cruise, we want to get the most time out of possible on board. Right now, we have transfers booked to Royal Caribbean, but I'm worried we'll have to wait a long time at the airport for the bus to get going. However, I've also heard there are perks using the transfer, like you can skip a lot of the port terminal lines and go right in. We can also use a taxi or Uber. Can you talk about the transfer experience for boarding day? I have never heard of any benefits of going through the transfer in terms of like saving you time. Bridget, if I were you, um, and I'm with you on this, by the way, like I don't want to waste time in, in the airport. Cancel the transfers, get Lyft or Uber. It is super easy in Miami to get a Lyft or Uber ride over. It's not like you're in some foreign country, unless you're not an American, I suppose, but <laughs> um, it's 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 a very easy process. I think you'll have no problem at all. It's a short ride. It's about, if there's no traffic, you should be able to make it from airport to Port Miami in around, I want to say about 15 minutes because it's a straight, it's a straight line on a highway. Maybe a little longer, who knows, but point is, is that I would, if it were me, I would definitely do the taxi or Uber. Uh, in terms of obviously you're flying in the day of, like you said, it is, you can't fly the day before. I just hope you're on that first flight of the day. Like if you have that option where the plane is near, it's like 6am or whatever it is. I mean, get on that first flight. Don't leave anything to chance. You just never know there. Hopefully everything will work out well for you. Thank you for the email. Our next email is from Gene Cop Coppola. Hi, Matt. Love your YouTube channel. I'm subscribed. I've been watching your videos and taking notes for my first cruise in March of 2024 on Liberty of the Seas. We're selling from Port Canaveral, Florida for four days to the Caribbean. We return on a Friday and I booked flights home to New York, departing at 11 a.m. for Lauderdale Airport. There were surprisingly few options for JetBlue. I'm not even flying on my preferred closest airport. I'm starting to panic, thinking I may not have enough time to, for, from debarkation to flight boarding. I know that the airport is only a few miles from the port. What is the earliest you can disembark if you have your airline tickets? Can you present them to request an early disembarkation? I appreciate any info you can provide and I appreciate all the information I've gotten from your channel. Good question, Gene. So there, you don't, you get off the ship as soon as the ship is clear, you can get off anytime you want. The issue of course is your luggage. So if you're, Gene, if you're taking your own luggage off the ship with you, you can leave as soon as the ship is cleared, which is usually around 7.30 or so in the morning and there is no process like you don't have to get approval to leave the ship now obviously if you check luggage if you left your luggage out the night before and roller and picks it up that's where you run into an issue because your luggage the time they give you is more about your luggage being available does that make sense like you could easily walk off the ship at 7 30 with luggage in hand if you gave roller your luggage and walk off the ship at 7 30 that no one's going to stop you from walking off the ship but your luggage won't be ready. So it's more that's the issue. So my advice to you, an 11 a.m. flight is doable. I would recommend that you bring your own luggage off the ship. It's only a four day cruise, so I don't think you'll have a terrible amount of uh, luggage with you. But I'd walk off the ship with your own luggage. I mean, gosh, if you walk to the ship at eight o'clock in the morning, right, which is not the first people to walk off the ship at eight o'clock in the morning with your luggage. Wait a minute, I'm rereading your email. You're sailing from Port Canaveral and you booked a flight from Fort Lauderdale at 11 a.m., there is no chance you're making that. Zero. Even if you got on the ship at 7.30, it's a three-hour drive to Fort Lauderdale. You got to change your plans. There's no way. Unless it's a typo in your email, because it says here, we're selling from Port Canaveral. 
and I booked flights home to New York departing at 11 a.m. That is a mistake. You can't make that. There's no 0.000% chance of you making that because it is right around three hour drive from Fort Canaveral to Fort Lauderdale Airport. You want to fly out of Orlando. I don't know why you chose Fort Lauderdale, quite frankly. But I hope this email gets to you in time. You need to change your plans, like, immediately. Unless there's a typo here. Because if it's if it's Orlando, or your cruise goes out of Fort Everglades, that's fine. But, yeah, it's hard to know without, and without you being able to verify this. But let's assume the email is correct. You absolutely cannot do this. And I apologize for not for catching this earlier. Everything I said earlier is still applicable to anybody who's listening to this. But... Um, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So hopefully that answers your email there. Um, yeah. And we have time for one or two more emails here, starting with episode, oh, excuse me, with Steve, uh, Nur's email. Uh, Steve said, hi, Matt. Thanks for all your hard work and great advice. I recently listened to episode 506, where you discussed where to push screws out on. I'd like to make a quick observation. You mentioned that we should book shore excursions about 90 days in advance. However, based on my recent experience, I don't think that's the case. I've always been one to book my excursions as early as possible. Don't ask me why I just did it. In the past, it didn't make much difference as they rarely sold out months or years in advance and the prices, they pretty much constant. Lately, I've noticed that the prices rise dramatically. For an extreme example, I have a May 2024 selling on Jewel of the Seas. A few months ago, excursions were opened up for this cruise. I reserved an interesting excursion. The first day was available for $74.99 a person. One week later, it rose to $146.99 per person and say there that's nearly double. I've had numerous other cruises where pr prices rose $20 to $50. Not as dramatic, but still worth booking early and checking back off. Thanks for all you do, and I hope to bump into you on a future cruise someplace. Steve, very good observation, and I don't disagree with you, man. I, it's crazy how, again, years ago, I wouldn't have even thought twice about waiting to book your tours until like, you know, a week or so before. Heck, I remember in the early days of my cruising experience, we just booked them on board the ship. But now you're playing with fire with that because not only raising prices, but selling out. Yeah, no, it's it's just not a great idea right there. So, um, it, it's, it's yeah, I, I agree with Steve right there. You know, the earlier you book, the more advantageous it is. And our last email is from somebody who did not put who their name is, although I do know which iPad you use because that's the name of your device. Anyway, questions. Number one, with setting bags and all, halls are well monitored for security. Yeah, no one's stealing your bags. I mean, can't promise you that, but I think I've never, ever, ever heard of that being an issue. Number two, does the logo shop have items for people of a size like 5XL? They do have larger sizes. I can't promise they have 5XL, but they do have larger sizes. Uh, number three, any tricks on booking single rooms on the ship that have them? Honestly, you gotta book it like day one. They, they're very few to begin with, and a lot of people know about them, or enough know about them anyway, that they sell out. So you gotta book them when Royal Caribbean puts out their new itineraries. That's really when you wanna book them. And lastly, with the new menu, and you still request creme brulee, you cannot. With the new menu, there's no special requests available in the main dining room. So, good evening. RNI Live, one more email. That was a very short one. I feel like we should get one more in here. Starting with, uh, here's the email. This will be from Mike from Pennsylvania. Uh, hi, Pat. My family just got back from our first World Caribbean cruise to the Bahamas on Oasis of the Seas. Really enjoyed it. We also learned some things to do differently on our next cruise. I came up on your podcast, started listening re recently. Thank you for the great content. If you addressed this topic before, my apologies. I was wondering if you knew how Royal Caribbean decides when to offer cruises, and is there a contact where the public can request Royal Caribbean consider a certain cruise at a certain time? For some time, I wanted to do Canada New England cruises in the seven to nine day length so we can visit places like Boston or Bar Harbor. 
In December 2019, we booked a seven-day cruise to New England, Canada for June 2021. As you can guess, the cruise was canceled due to the pandemic. Since then, Royal Caribbean has not offered a seven- or nine-day New England, Canada cruise in the summer. I understand why the fall is when they're mostly scheduled, but due to my work and my wife's work, we cannot do cruises in the fall. I'm hoping Royal Caribbean offers another lengthy New England, Canada cruise over the summer, but for the past two years, they've only offered four-day cruises, which only go to Canada for one day. How do they make these determinations, and is there a contact where we can send a request for their consideration? It's a great question, Mike. I would say this. Number one, how do they make their decisions? Financially. They, they figure, where, where's the demand? And I'm sure what they will tell you, and this is based on what we're seeing here with the deployments, there is far greater demand for Canada cruises in the, in the fall than there is in the summer. Because in the summer, people want to go to Bermuda or even south to the Caribbean. They're not as interested in the fall, and that's probably why they do the short runs in the summer and the longer runs in the fall. That isn't to say that, obviously, your, your point is not well taken, and you would like to, heck, I would like to as well. The problem is, they're not looking necessarily at one or two, they're looking at where, you know, what percentage, what's the bigger size demand there, and go in that direction. But, obviously, your your feedback is important. I do think Real Company does take a lot of that kind of feedback, importantly. Number one would always be the post-cruise survey. Uh, obviously, if you when you you recently went on a cruise, too late now. But if you po posted that in the pre-form comments at the end of the survey, that could have been an option for you. The other option um, is obviously to submit your content through like you know social media or something like that. I don't have any good idea as to how seriously a Facebook post or a tweet to Real Caribbean's accounts will go. Does it go beyond the social team? Does it actually go to somebody? I'm not sure. The other option uh, is you could email Michael Bailey. This is kind of a, I guess it's a fairly well-known hack when you use it there at this point, where you can essentially uh, email him and, you know, hopefully get a response. Look up his email right now. Uh, I believe it's mbailey at rccl.com. Uh, yes, mbailey, M-B-A, y l e y at rccl.com uh, it's a little weird emailing the ceo but they let me put it this way that email address definitely has a middleman or middlewoman who goes in there and screens a lot of those emails and if it goes in forwards to the appropriate location again i can't promise you that's going to do anything that's going to get you anything or even get your information there but it's really your only options there is not a formal process like hey tell us your itinerary of requests things like that but that's essentially my my best advice to you. So if if all else fails on your next cruise, in the post cruise survey, I would put it in there, Mike, and hopefully they can answer your email there. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Green Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by saying to Matt M A T T at Royal Caribbean Blog dot com. Matt at Royal Caribbean Blog dot com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.